Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Please don't go. I need you so I... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, the podcast about finding joy through feminism and living your best feminist life. I'm your host, Adrienne Vandervalk, and I'm entering my fourth week of quarantine this week. It has been a roller coaster, I'm not going to lie. And we've all been in this long enough now that we're beginning to hear about some of the fallout and different ways that folks are struggling during this time. Even for folks who aren't in danger, the stress of living in bizarro world is taking its toll and the cracks are starting to show. If the cracks are starting to show for you, um, I do wanna tell you about a new sponsor because it aligns perfectly with today's topic, which is all about taking time to nurture ourselves during this pandemic. And that is a brand new home-based candle making company called Monochrome. I have been really picky about sponsorship on this show for obvious reasons, but I am totally in love with these candles and with the family that makes them. Um, I have been using them myself as part of my self-care during this time. They are hand-poured, small-batched candles made in the U.S. from soy, wax, and essential oils. So they are all natural, and they smell absolutely fabulous. Plus, the candle holder is entirely black and white, hence the name monochrome. So they go with pretty much any decor, which is awesome. I personally am kind of a snob about candle aesthetics and will reject a nice-smelling candle if I don't like how it looks. I know, judgy. But these are beautiful and they smell amazing and they burn forever. You can find them online at shopmonochrome.com. And if you use the code hot dog, all one word at checkout, you'll get 10% off for being a feminist hot dog listener. My current favorite scent is lavender rosemary, although I am also a huge fan of jasmine fig and partial to Palo Santo also. So if you are not already burning candles to steady your nerves, now you have some inspiration to go to shopmonochrome.com and invest in some relaxation. You will love them. So in today's episode, we are talking about mental health, which is a topic that is up for a lot of people right now, either because they have been cooped up with their families or they are isolated and feeling lonely, or maybe they have had their movement severely restricted in some way for weeks now as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. I specifically wanted to talk about how this time, you know, which I think we can all agree is a moment of collective trauma, um, but can be especially hard on folks who have also experienced trauma in the past and how they are being affected by the conditions imposed by the pandemic and what they can do about it. So just a warning that this episode does briefly mention sexual violence a couple of times. I was lucky enough to have two wonderful guests with lots of experience in the mental health field who were willing to come on the show and um, also share some really interesting resources with all of us. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our first guest today. Her name is Stephanie James. She's a mental health therapist and a fellow podcaster. She hosts a wonderful show called The Spark which is also part of the NOCO FM family. And I asked her to come on the show for two reasons. One, to talk about how she's helping her clients manage their mental health during this time. 
and two, to share some tips and resources that are specifically aimed at healing sexual trauma, which is something that the COVID-19 pandemic has triggered for a lot of people. Here is Stephanie talking about her work and her podcast. I'm a private practice psychotherapist, and I've been doing that for 13 years. I've been in the mental health field for 30 years, and I'm a trauma specialist specializing in EMDR, which is a trauma protocol. And I started The Spark uh, with Stephanie James with our producer, Chris Lamphere, a little over two years ago. We're just on our third season now, and it's just one of the, as you know, greatest outlets to bring what I do literally in the office to a bigger medium plus, um, plus more to be able to give even more resources with the actual people who are creating modalities or that are creating ways of healing ourselves and to be able to have them as guests on the show. It's just been incredible. Generally speaking, what has it been like for you providing therapy to clients during this time? I was alone one-on-one with my clients all day anyway, so I was used to being alone. So that piece for me hasn't changed. What's changed maybe is some of the emergency type calls that I'm getting. I'm, I'm always available to my clients 24-7, and most people don't utilize that. And I've, what I've experienced now is that I'll have my regular seven or eight hours of clients during the day, and then I'm getting the emergency calls. A little bit more now with, with people feeling more isolated, anxieties coming up, relationship issues definitely coming up, frustrations around parenting, how do I handle this? And especially when you know parents are being called to be teachers right now and, and do homeschooling. So there's just so much together time. And no matter how much you love somebody, when you're together in those kind of, in these type of situations, all of our issues can get triggered. You know, our stuff can really rise up. And I always say love brings up anything unlike itself for the purpose of being healed. So even when we're with the people we love the most, it's going to bring up those issues. As Stephanie mentioned, she is a trauma specialist, and she works with several clients who have experienced sexual abuse and other sexual traumas. I asked her what her clients are experiencing right now and what kind of support they're needing during the pandemic. Let's say that the sexual abuse was recent, or they just right now are starting to process through it maybe for the first time. That's already such a vulnerable place, and it can already feel like crisis. So then we go into this, you know, larger circumstantial crisis with the virus and things are unknown. And so the brain hates unpredictability um, and, and the unknown. It thrives on the familiar. So that in and of itself will kick us into anxiety. And so I'm noticing clients needing a lot more just stabilization they're needing a lot more of just breathing tools, grounding tools, so that they can be in this 24-hour window. Um, and we do a lot of talking about that. You know, how can you keep yourself grounded? How can you keep yourself safe? Well, it's not going into the unknown where you feel helpless or hopeless or a victim of your circumstances. And I think that, you know, if any, anything can feel really re-victimizing, it's like, oh my God, where do I find my safety? Well, where we actually can find that is in the present moment. We can't control what's going to happen, you know, 
tomorrow or the next day, but usually within this 24 hours, we can start to build a plan of how we can keep ourselves safe, grounded, connected. And and from that place, we can really start to build a sense of safety and resilience. Some of the specific techniques that we work on are breath techniques to begin with, that really doing deep diaphragmic breaths. Sometimes what I've told clients to do is to just during the day put random alarms on their phone so that when the alarm goes off that you just put your hand on your heart and just take a nice deep breath into your body. And and just those simple moments of that kind of breath work bring you right here and right now. For deeper grounding, I'll have people practice what's called a safe place imagery safer, calm place. So what they do is they pull up in their mind a place where when they think of that place, there's nothing negative connected to it. So say they think of this wonderful place in the mountains that they they went to maybe as a kid. And when they were there, they just felt so much joy and freedom, happiness. And then I have them pull in all of their senses. So just to, you know, they're just, their eyes are closed and they're imagining what they saw there, what they heard there, what it smelled like, even if there's a taste associated. In, in my safe place, it was my parents, they had a ranch up by Kremlin, Colorado. And so I could really, even to this day, I had the taste of my dad's old green canteen, this green plastic canteen, and I could taste the cool water and it had a certain smell to it. So as, as you bring all your senses in, what's really cool about that is that our mind does not have a sense of time. And that's why we can go into all this anxiety if we start thinking about, oh my God, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? And we're picturing all these terrible things. What ends up happening is we create the anxiety within us it's not happening now, but we're experiencing it as now. And so I tell clients all the time, you know, instead of having this horrible fantasy, because it's all fantasy, if it's beyond us, you might as well create a positive fantasy, a good one. So bringing that into the present moment, what you can do is you bring this safe, calm place, your mind experiences it as happening now. So it starts releasing the same chemicals in your brain. So you do experience feeling good, feeling a moment of joy. So those are just a couple of the techniques of really helping people to be present right now in their body. And it's not just about being happy. I think when we're in the present moment, even if sadness or a little anxiety arises or even a lot of anxiety arises, we can really look at it as, okay, this is a thought right now. I like the I like the analogy of these things are clouds in the sky of our mind. So they're just floating by. And so we can notice them without being too attached. We can notice our tight throat or, you know, the heaviness in our chest. If you're breathing through it in the present moment, it actually begins to dissipate instead of going into this, you know, mental squalor we put ourselves through as we continue to put more and more energy into the what if scenario. Stephanie told me that for survivors of trauma generally and sexual abuse specifically, the world often takes on an upside down or surreal quality in which the person has no control over what is happening. So now when the world really is like that, it can feel harder than ever to connect with their agency. She shared with me a practice that she encourages clients to do every morning as a way to mitigate this feeling. It's easy to remember it with the three C's. The first C being how do I take care of myself today? Again, just keeping ourselves in this 24 hours. So taking care of ourselves might look like, okay, I'm going to get up 
I'm going to go for a walk or a run. I'm going to make sure I'm eating nutritious foods, maybe taking supplements, whatever that looks like, some time for meditation. I'm going to take a shower because that that makes me feel good. So, you know, it's so it's within that 24-hour period really looking at what is good self-care look like. And then the second C being how can I connect today? And I think this is more important than ever because it's so easy to feel so isolated right now. Especially if you don't live with anybody, even if, you know, you live with your family and your family's driving you a little bit nuts right now, you know, we might need to connect with somebody outside of our partner or our family. So making sure that you, in the beginning of the morning, it's like, who do I want to connect with? Who are the people that I really have a heart connection with? Or maybe a relative or a really good friend I haven't connected with. What a great opportunity. So making that a priority. And the last C being, how can I be creative today? And this being so important because it really gives us a sense of aliveness and energy. And creativity can come in so many different ways right? So creativity can be one of the ways I'm going to be creative today is I'm going to make a song list of the top 10 songs that make me feel really good on Spotify. And that's going to boost my mood. And I can listen to that. And as I told you before, you know, that's something that my dog and I like to do right now. My dog, who is my companion right now (laughs) and my only social outlet, but putting on some tunes and dancing in the kitchen, that's, you know, that's something that feels good. And Other ways we can be creative are art or writing, collaging. There's so many different ways that we can be creative. I mean, even those grown-up color books, just putting yourself in that flow, that creative flow, I think that's the important piece. And so then that gives us a sense of, wow, I, I have some predictability to my day and I do feel like I have a little control over my experience. I'm actually enhancing my own experience. In addition to being a therapist and a podcast host, Stephanie speaks publicly about her work and her own experience as a survivor. She's co-hosting along with Misa Hopkins, a free five-day online summit that I think could be of real value to a lot of people right now. It's called Women Emerging, Reclaiming Our Souls from Sexual Abuse. And it starts on April 17th and runs through the 22nd. It's open to uh, women and all female identifying people. And you can register from the link in our show notes. I started this journey with Misa Hopkins. I am her co-host. She is the originator of Women Emerging. And our journey together on this began a year ago. And her preparation for this was started two years before that. So the summit was really, it came out of the Me Too movement, the idea for it, and acknowledging, you know, yes, sexual abuse has happened to all these women, sexual harassment has happened. And then, you know, as we were talking, taking that one step further to a We Too movement, where it's it's going beyond saying, yes, this happened to me, and I'm, I'm a sexual abuse survivor, to how can we thrive and reclaim ourselves. You know, the, the secondary piece of, of the title is women emerging, reclaiming our souls from sexual abuse. And so that really is what the summit is about. It's, it's got so many incredible speakers, men and women, who are in psychology or spirituality, 
people that have done, you know, healing work, whether it's body movement, maybe it's even um, exploring your sexuality after sexual trauma, once you've healed beyond the crisis, of course, but so many resources. So it's, it's the 17th through the 21st and you're sent these videos every day. So the resource is phenomenal. One of the programs on there, Misa Hopkins and I did together, which are videos which are going to end up to be transcripts of our book, but they are, they are wonderful resources in that if you choose to do that program, it's how to recover certain attributes that we feel like oftentimes get lost, like purity or innocence or trust or our sexuality or sensuality, our sense of confidence. So it, it came out of this wonderful, you know, these wonderful conversations that we had with each other that really were just really ignited, excited conversations about how we can really approach healing from what Misa termed a psycho-spiritual approach. What that is, is oftentimes we only heal or we, we choose to heal in one modality or another. You know, maybe we'll go and we'll do a women's workshop and maybe it's a shamanic journey or we're doing something that really has to do with deepening our spiritual experience as a way to heal. And then there's other people that will go and just do the process route. You know, they'll go to therapy and both of these modalities are wonderful ways to heal. And yet when we combine these two modalities of healing, it's amazing because we're getting a more holistic approach to healing. And really there's been a huge movement in the last 15 or so years where we're really seeing the combination of psychology, spirituality, and science come together as a way that not only do they validate one another, but they dovetail so beautifully so that we really are able to heal at all kinds of depths, you know, heart, mind, body, and soul. There's actually one other summit that I'm a part of. Misa is actually one of the presenters as well. I'm a presenter in Helen Hillock's Super Summit, which is, again, it's a, one of these global summits, and it is called Sacred Sexuality. And so it's really about finding the intimacy and cultivating really a deeper sense in your relationships so it's it's not just about sex, although I know a lot of her experts on there are people that are psychologists, again, or doctors or people that are specialists in certain areas, but it's really, again, about healing your relationship. And no matter who your partner is, how can you take it to new depths? And it's it's really an amazing program. So I'm super honored to have been asked to present in that as well. And that starts the 20th of April. So why we're stuck at home, we might as well beef up our relationships as well. Stephanie is also an author and she published a great book last year called The Spark Igniting Your Best Life, in which she draws on 30 years in the mental health field, as well as from her awesome podcast to address topics like healing through grief, growing resiliency and cultivating joy, which I think we could all use a little more of right now. I asked her what final thoughts she wanted to leave us with, and this is what she shared. My ending wish is that everyone out there truly knows that they are not alone, 
during this and that we really can just pause and take that moment where we realize we really are connected in our hearts. And so please reach in and reach out and we really will come through this in a much better place, more full of gratitude, appreciation for one another, and really, I think, so much more aware of how we are all interconnected on this body called humanity. Thank you so much to Stephanie James for sharing your spark with us. I want to pause for just a short musical interlude. And I want you to just focus on how this music makes you feel. And you'll understand why when I tell you more about our next guest. Have a listen. The composer of this beautiful piece of music is Alexandra Pajak, and she's not only a composer, but she also worked in the prison system as a mental health provider for about 10 years. So she's very knowledgeable about trauma, among other mental health issues, and she brought together her knowledge with her love of composing music to create an album called Mind Electric. It's mind forward slash electric, from which we just heard a sample. I thought this was such a cool idea, so I asked Alexandra if she would join me to talk more about her experience and about her inspiration for creating classical music based on mental illness. I was a composer when I was 14. That's when I first got got interested in it, uh, really through movie soundtracks. I just loved listening to them, especially like Jurassic Park and Star Wars, like just those kind of old-timey blockbuster you know, like full orchestration songs. I got a music scholarship to Agnes Scott College, which is an all-women's college, and it was incredible. I could not have named one female composer when I started college. And by the time I graduated, like, I knew so many. And it was just the coolest experience. My freshman year, the Kronos Quartet came to visit, and they did two pieces that just blew my mind. They set a Beatles song to string quartet. And then they played a song by St. Hildegard. It was a vocal piece she wrote, and they set it to string quartet. And it was amazing, because first you had like a pop song that's a classic, and then the song by a female composer from the 11th century that I'd never heard of. And completely changed my mind. It blew my mind. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can do like rock music and, you know, music from almost a thousand years ago and make it contemporary and current. So I got a music major from Agnes Scott College. I got a 
master's degree then in social work because I did want a job that had some, I guess, more structure than what tends to be a musician's job. And I got, for my internship in graduate school, I got placed at a county jail. And after the first day, I loved it. The inmates who you know, we called patients, which, which they were, just the stories and the backgrounds. I mean, it really defied so many stereotypes I know I had. It was an amazing experience. And I did that for 10 years. Can you tell us about the origins of Mind Electric and how you came to compose it? Really two things. I did a music therapy group um, with the patients or the inmates for about six years. And I really enjoyed their response to music and, you know, their stories of how music helps them cope with their mental illness. And my husband knows I like combining science and music. And he said, hey, what if you did one, like an album inspired by mental illness? And I was like, oh, that's kind of a neat idea. So that kind of planted a seed. And I'm, I'm really happy with the, with the product of how it, how it turned out. Um, I wanted to combine classical instruments because to me those are very, you know, they're very human, they're very alive and rich sounds with some electronic sound because I was also interested in how people with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder describe auditory hallucinations. So that's in the sound of a lot of times whispers or voices and also the role that technology plays in some delusions. You know, I've had some patients who said, you know, people on the television can read their minds. You know, they have a special relationship with Mark Zuckerberg. You know, he came up a lot and just kind of this role of technology getting kind of enmeshed with these delusions, like as technology develops. So I like the sound of mind and electric, kind of putting those together. One of my Patients I worked with for about two years in one of the jails, they had handwritten counseling requests. Like if they wanted to talk to me, they'd say, you know, Ms. Pajak, I'd like to speak to you about, you know, whatever. And he had a really interesting way of using punctuation marks that were not traditional. But once you really got to know him and know his illness, you could really make sense of how he used, you know, front slashes and quotation marks in a way that really got his emotions across. And I thought that, that was kind of a neat kind of way to honor him as well, to have that front slash in the title. Let's take a moment to listen to another piece from the album.
This piece is called PTSD One Dissociation. Can you talk about this particular track and why you chose to play it for us today? Absolutely. Um, Really for two reasons. One is the role of trauma in the backgrounds of inmates and especially female inmates. I was doing a lot of support groups about like re-entry, like how to, you know, get ID, how to get bus fare. And over and over in these female groups, they would just start talking about sexual trauma. They talk about rape. They talked about being molested. They talked about boyfriends really exploiting them into prostitution. And I was getting frustrated. And I was I was pretty young at that point, um, really green. And I talked to a supervisor and I was like, I'm frustrated. I can't get the, you know, the things done I need to to prepare them to get out. And she said, listen to me, you need to stop being surprised and start expecting it. And that was just something that really stuck with me. And she said, you need to expect it, be able to help them process it, because this is a core part of why they're in jail. And so I was able to really just kind of roll with it. That's the best way I can, you know, I can describe it. So instead of redirecting them to the topic right away, you know, I let them process that and talk about it. Fortunately for them, the women that were in the groups were all very supportive of one another. So there was no like gossip or shaming or, you know, questioning about any of the stories they shared. It was, it was really amazing how all of them saw it as that sexual trauma as part of them, but it really did not define them. I mean, it was just amazing, the resiliency for one, and also just hearing just how complex and violent some of the traumas were. I was thinking if that happened to me, if I didn't have, you know, my parents or those teachers that were mentors, you know, where would I end up? You know, I might end up in their place. You know, any of us might. So I did want to incorporate a piece about post-traumatic stress disorder. I did not want any sounds in it that would be jarring or upsetting because I didn't want someone to listen to it and then feel fearful in any way. So I definitely wanted to make the music more meditative and more about the person instead of like those loud sounds that might trigger them or the bad memories. Like I really wanted to make it about the person and it's written for cello and I love the cello. It just has that rich kind of low meditative, I just richness to it. So that's why I chose that instrument. And also, you know, the second reason is just to, you know, try to communicate through music, just the reality of the relationship between sexual trauma and incarceration. And also a lot of the male inmates also experience sexual trauma, which is something that I don't think we talk about boys and men being molested or raped, but it is something that that also happens. Let's talk about recovery, which was the song I played at the beginning of this segment. I wanted to reflect just kind of the resilience of people who are in jail and also people who are not in jail and they're trying to, you know, find recovery. And one kind of mode of counseling is called the recovery model. And the two important really parts of that is, yes, you have a mental illness, 
It does not define you. And you can live a happy, successful life even with that being a part of you. And so I really wanted that to be the conclusion of the CD. And I really tried to incorporate like some dissonance, some kind of jarring rhythms in some sections to, you know, kind of reflect the ways that even as, you know, all of us try to heal from something or grow, you know, there are growing pains. We take a few steps back and that's, that's really, that was my goal for that piece. You mentioned that Hildegard von Bingham was a source of inspiration for you. Can you tell us a bit about her and her music and why you find her so inspiring? She was a very fascinating figure. Um, she was a nun and did a lot of things that were very contrary to what was otherwise accepted among women. And I mean, she was really respected for it. She was a composer. She was a writer. She traveled and spoke you know, about her visions she had in the Bible. And she was really kind of rediscovered in, I think, the 1970s, you know, when that wave of the feminist movement came about. And I remember, especially when I was 18, and I heard that string quartet, the Kronos Quartet, I was like, wow, what creativity she must have had. If you're in a convent in the 11th century, there's no, like, Mozart CD you can listen to. There's no radio. I was like... Like, what creativity would it take to come up with music and sounds and how much time you'd have and just that silence around you? And there's just so much, especially as as an 18-year-old. I was like, oh, it's just amazing. So she was a big inspiration to me. There's also not many female composers still. So I kind of kept her in the back of my mind. Uh, okay, well, she could do it a thousand years ago. I can, I can put myself out there. Yeah, I can write some music. It is probably a reach to say we should all tap into our inner Hildegard von Bingham while we are socially isolating. But I love the idea of drawing inspiration from unconventional women from the past. And so thank you, Alexandra Pajak, for introducing me to Hildegard and for sharing your beautiful music with us. And listeners, I will put a link in the show notes to Mind Electric, And if you purchase a copy, Alexander will donate all proceeds to the National Alliance for Mental Illness. I want to thank all of you for listening, and I hope you found something valuable in today's episode that brings you some peace in the coming weeks. I'd love to connect with you via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or drop me a line at feministhotdog.com. Until next time, stay safe. And as always, love yourself and love your buns. Goodbye. This has been a production of NOCO FM.